0: During this time of COVID-19, we are all being called on some level to reimagine what our occupational therapy can look like. And it is our hope at OT Potential to help you do that in a proactive way. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at research that shows us that there are new opportunities to reach our patients and improve our outcomes. And this week's article fits well into that theme. It calls us back to this basic principle— That part of our role as occupational therapists is hopefully to intervene early in the disease process and hopefully prevent some of the most worrisome disease symptoms. This week, we are looking at an article about psychosis, which frankly is one of the most challenging symptoms that can present with many mental illnesses. But the good news is that research is pointing us to the fact that it is possible to identify those at high risk for psychosis and even reduce the number of people who experience a full-blown episode. And in this brand new study, you'll see how an assessment that we as OTs are accustomed to administering, the sensory profile, may not only help guide early identification of youth who are at risk for psychosis, but also help inform their subsequent treatment. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where each week we discuss one influential OT-related journal article. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL, and this week we are looking at the journal article, Sensory Characteristics of Youth at Clinical High Risk for Psychosis. This article comes to us from the Journal of Early Intervention in Psychiatry. It was published in 2019 and this was actually a member requested article. A member of the OT Potential Club brought this article to our attention and asked that we discuss it here on the podcast and in the club. So let's start with just a quick refresher on psychosis. In the simplest sense, psychosis is when a person experiences some loss of connection with external reality. This can present as hallucinations and delusions. Psychosis itself is not a disease. Rather, it is the symptom of a broader disease, such as schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, brief psychotic disorder, delusional disorder, bipolar psychosis, and so on. So let's talk a little bit about the importance of early identification of clinical risk for psychosis. We already know from previous research that identifying psychosis as early as possible is key because this can improve long-term outcomes for these patients. Historically, this early identification of psychosis has meant recognizing psychosis as soon as possible once an episode actually starts. But there is a growing body of new evidence that shows high risk for psychosis can be identified prior to the onset of an episode. And the good news is that there are valid and reliable assessments that can categorize people into high risk and low risk of developing psychosis. But at this point, these assessments are pretty specialized and not enough patients are being connected with them. This means that the current challenge is screening individuals to refer them to these professionals to receive these assessments in the first place. And then, of course, the next hurdle is knowing what to do once high-risk individuals have been identified, which all that leads us to this topic of sensory differences and psychosis. As I mentioned above, the nature of psychosis often involves significant alterations to an individual's sensory experience of the world. We think of this in terms of hallucinations and delusions as one of just the toughest manifestations of that. But the interesting thing that research seems to be indicating is that broader, subtle sensory differences start to emerge even before that first episode of psychosis. From brain scans of individuals with a high clinical risk of psychosis, researchers have seen that there are already gray and white matter changes occurring throughout several different regions of the brain. And the findings from these scans seem to suggest that multiple sensory systems would probably be impacted during this pre-psychosis phase, meaning that broad changes to sensory experiences would be expected which leads us to this particular study that we are looking at today. So for this particular study, let's start with the key research question. The thinking behind the study was that if we can better understand and quantify these early sensory changes, they may be useful in identifying those at high risk for psychosis. The sensory information gathered could also serve the double benefit of helping to guide interventions that aim to prevent or minimize the experience of psychosis. So the study started with this question. Are the sensory characteristics of people at clinically high risk of psychosis different from the peers who are at clinically low risk? And are the sensory characteristics different from those seen in the general public? To begin to try to answer this question, the researchers used a cohort design that used data from the Early Detection and Intervention for the Prevention of Psychosis Program. Um, This was a really cool research project just in its own right, and it's something that you can read about online and that I'll link to in the club. Um, The study cross-analyzed the data from 205 patients who were part of this program. They were ages 12 to 25. And the researchers analyzed their score from the adolescent adult sensory profile. That's where they gathered that sensory information about the group. They compared it to normative data from the adult adolescent sensory profile. So that's how they compared it to the general population. And then they also compared it to the structured interview for prodromal syndrome and the scale of prodromal symptoms. And these were the studies that they used to help categorize the patients as high risk or low risk for psychosis. So the results from this study were that the youth who were at clinically high risk for psychosis showed a significantly different pattern of sensory experiences than the general population does. The sensory characteristics were also significantly different from those who were at clinically low risk for psychosis. On the sensory profile, these high-risk individuals showed significant variance in four out of four of the categories. They had a significantly higher tendency to self-report behaviors and experiences that signified low registration, sensory sensitivity, and sensory avoiding, and they were less likely to report sensory seeking. So here's what the authors concluded and discussed about these results. Given this distinctive pattern of sensory processing, the authors concluded that sensory differences may indeed be a valuable early marker for identifying individuals who are at a high risk of psychosis. The research also aligned with previous research that broad sensory changes begin to happen early in the disease process and prior to a full-blown episode of psychosis. Just in my own words, I would say that it seems like the sensory profile could essentially be used as a screening tool in the future to help inform further assessment and intervention to hopefully prevent or minimize full psychosis. Definitely keep in mind that this is a pretty early study, just being a cohort study, um, and that more research is needed on this topic. Um, There is a lot in the discussion section of this article that is really relevant to occupational therapy. So if you work with this population, I highly encourage you to just read the full section in its entirety. So what were my takeaways for OT practitioners from this research? As always, these are my personal takeaways. They were not mentioned specifically in the article, and they're really just meant to get your wheels turning about the research. My first takeaway was that this article really felt like part of a larger trend where neurological signs that we as occupational therapy professionals have been attentive to for years are now being confirmed and showing a lot of potential in screening. The article felt really similar to another article that we discussed on the podcast about how soft neurological signs could be effective as an early screen for ADHD. If that's interesting to you, I definitely encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Soft neurological signs and sensory changes are really attractive as possible screens because these screens are relatively easy to administer and they could be done by professionals like you. We all know that there simply are not enough mental health professionals out there. So if we could mobilize our profession to help more with the screening, we could reach a lot more patients and the outcomes of this early intervention is really significant. Um, Screening is a really complex topic that we've talked about on the podcast before. So we are definitely awaiting more guidance from the research on this. But in the meantime, if you do work with a patient with this distinctive sensory pattern, it might be worth reaching out to your team to discuss if further assessment is merited. And my second just broader takeaway is that your skill set is just so needed right now. And I want to encourage you to stay strong in the fight for reimbursement and for new models of care. As with many weeks, I am leaving this article feeling that OTs are just completely underutilized. From my view of things, research consistently backs up our value and even pushes me to expand my view of how we could use our skill set. As the coronavirus continues to make waves around the globe, the weight of our role in helping individuals to optimize their health feels particularly heavy right now. And it feels likely that many communities, states, and countries will be reevaluating their investment in healthcare. And I hope that research like this makes you feel confidence in the importance of our role and our potential to be providing even more assistance to people than our current reimbursement models allow. Okay, that is all that I have for you today about this particular research. But I wanted to remind you that the OT Potential podcast is an extension of the OT Potential Club. And the OT Potential Club is where we will be discussing this research and diving further into it. And it is also where we as a community have been working together to just navigate all these changes around COVID-19. You can sign in or sign up for the club at otpotential.com. And as always, I hope that this podcast helps you deliver great care this week.